Uh, so uh, we're focusing on focus this week on the Overnight Scape Central, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad uh, we're all going to focus together, because especially now, at least it seems to me that we're all sort of, that the world, I guess it's always unfold. What the heck am I talking about? Trying to posit a point that makes absolutely no sense to uh, make this show uh, special. This show is special, and we've got Mike Booty, Chad Bowers, and Frank Edward Nora in the house here to bring you their views on Focus. And this is a show where you, yes, you, could have been part of the magic, and you still can because you can do a follow-up on this week's topic. And at the end of the show, you are going to get the opportunity to uh, participate in next week's show or, again, follow up on this week's topic or any of the many topics we've done over the years right here on the Overnightscape Central. I am Brett, your appreciator, also known as PQ River. I've been doing this for a while now, just a few weeks. And um, we're, we're here for focus, um, something I personally uh, periodically have great problems with. I may be one of the world's most distractible human beings at times. I mean, certain things bring out a fine focus in me, and uh, otherwise, I am a digressor. So, and we'll see. We'll see if I can stay focused for the length of this uh, show. And uh, as I said, we've got Mike Booty, also known as the Midnight Citizen, who also broadcasts here on the Overnight Scape Underground. So, uh, but, well, let's just yeah, get the ball rolling and hear what Mike has to say. Having a hard time focusing tonight. I'm just, I'm off my routine, I guess is what it is. I thought my wife was supposed to be uh, back in town today, but it turned out that she's coming back tomorrow, Monday. She's leaving Savannah, Georgia about 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, her time, which I guess is 8 o'clock my time. So Eastern Standard Time to Central Standard Time. And uh, yeah, with her out of the house, I'm just having a difficult time uh, just focusing. I, I It's amazing just being married and sharing a life with somebody just uh, totally throws you into a synchronized routine that as soon as one, one, you know, your wife leaves, you just kind of forget what you're supposed to be doing with your time. <laughs> I don't know what that, what that is. So, uh, yeah, like my, my intention tonight, uh, Sunday was to go out and make some money for a little while. I went out and delivered food. Uh, but then after that, I was going to come home and I was going to edit this podcast that I recorded over the course of Friday and Saturday night. I, I intended to record the whole thing on Friday night, but it kind of bled into Saturday night because I was I was recording in the field on Friday night. I was recording um, at this uh, at this really nice overlook where you could go and, and look at the sun setting here in Birmingham, Alabama. 
And uh, I didn't realize that everybody else in the entire city of Birmingham knew that it was a great overlook to go and check out the sunset. So everybody started uh, coming up there and it just got really crowded and really difficult to just sit and do a podcast. So I had to stop doing it. So I decided to just put off finishing up the podcast until the next day on Saturday. So, so, uh, yeah, I have this podcast that I recorded over the course of Friday and Saturday, and then I was going to edit it tonight, Sunday night. And I came home and a friend of mine, Dave texted me and asked me if he wanted to, uh, if I wanted to come over to his place, he lives like a block away from me and, uh, just hang out and like watch some movies or videos or something like that and just hang out. And, uh, I was really trying to be good. I, I, I would have loved to do that because again, Jessica's out of town and it's not like she's going to be missing me. Um, but I was trying to stick to a schedule. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to edit a podcast <laughs> and, uh, and maybe watch some movies while I'm doing it. But Hey, you're welcome to come over and watch some movies while I'm editing a podcast. And I wasn't expecting him to, but Dave took me up on the offer. He had like, um, he had some bullet bourbon with him. And uh, as soon as he uh, came over and presented the bullet bourbon to me, I knew that was that was it. I was like, I'm, I'm not getting any podcast editing done tonight. So he just left a few minutes ago. It's uh, one o'clock in the morning on July 24th. And I'm like, I'm going to try and uh, just sit down and actually edit a podcast. But uh, um, there's not a lot that goes into this. Um, again, like lately, I've been doing podcasts outside of the studio, outside of the Midnight Citizen studio. I've been just doing them whenever, wherever and whenever I can because I've been so mobile. I haven't been able to sit down and just um, record a podcast in the traditional sense of just actually sitting down at my mixing board and everything else here and just recording a studio show like I used to. And so I've just been recording out in the field. Well, that's kind of presented the whole other set of problems where uh, now I'm not recording in my apartment, but I am, you know, out and about recording several different segments of a podcast of my show, the midnight citizen show that, you know, like after, after several different recording sessions, they kind of add up to stuff that I actually have to edit together. So it's, uh, I think it's actually becoming a lot more work than just simply sitting down and recording a studio show and just, you know, the constant wonder of like, what am I doing this for? I mean, is anybody listening to this? Who cares other than me? Um, but I, at the same time, just also listening to myself and being like, listen, I'm, I'm going to be I'm actually have a record of something that I did this week in time, in history. And how many other people are creating a record like that? So I, I you know, I want to do it. There, there seems to be something important about this, you know, like Richard Dreyfus building a mountain out of mashed potatoes and close encounters of the third kind. I don't know. But yeah, I was really trying to stick to a schedule this week that I've kind of built up for myself over the last few weeks of recording a show on Friday and then usually editing it, editing it on Sunday and then putting it on Monday. That, that schedule seems to be, be working with everything else I've got going on right now. Um, but yeah, lo and behold, though, Dave uh, called me up and 
asked me to come over and I said, you know, I mean, I can't really go over there, but why don't you come over here while I'm editing the show? And so he took me up on that offer and showed up and knocked on my door and presented me with a full thing of um, bullet bourbon. So I was like, shit, there goes my night. <laughs> and yeah, that was uh, about four hours ago and he just left. Uh, we watched a whole series of shows. Um, while Jessica was gone, we watched, uh, this really good documentary from like 1970 on, I think it was called original cast album company. Uh, you know, about Steven Sondheim, uh, recording the original cast album for a show he had created called company. And, uh, Dave is a big, uh, audio production guy. He loves looking at old microphones and old mixers. And so I put that on for him cause I thought it'd be just a like Christmas morning for him. And indeed it was, he loved it. He loved watching it. And yeah. And then after it, uh, we were going through all my movies that I own and, uh, I showed him, uh, he saw in my collection, he's like, Oh my gosh, you have true stories. You know, the Talking Heads movie, True Stories, directed by David Byrne. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, let's watch that. And so we put True Stories on and just, oh, my God, what a great movie. I, I don't think it's like a great. Actually, I don't think it's a great movie. I, I think it's like a really good movie with a collection of great scenes. I think that's what it is. Really good musical. Uh, the True Stories album, a lot of Talking Heads fans may disagree with me, but I think the True Stories album by the Talking Heads is uh, a fantastic album. I, th I think it's like every song on that, just beat for beat. Like it's not as a true stories is a movie that is very experimental. And indeed I was noticing when we were watching the movie that everything in that movie, all the, fr all the framing is very much centered. A lot of the characters in that movie, a lot of the things that your eyes need to gravitate toward in that movie is very centered. And I think David Byrne realized when he made true stories that, uh, you know, this is not a movie that people are going to go see in the theater. So <laughs> even though I'm contractually obligated to shoot it in 16 by nine, um, I I'm not going to frame it like a 16 by nine film. Cause I realized that the people who are going to discover this movie are going to be sitting at home watching it on video cassette. So I, so, so David Byrne frames most of the stuff in that movie, very centered as if you're meant to watch it on a small, you know, four by three, uh, cathode ray television set. And, uh, indeed, you know, the movie took about 20, 25 years, but it eventually got a really good, healthy cult following. Um, and so, to the point where Criterion Collection, the really prestigious uh, movie curation uh, house based out of New York, New York, uh, finally uh, released it on a special edition Blu-ray Blu a few years ago. And I got that. And so, so that's what we were watching is true stories in the Criterion Collection. And um, yeah, we were just absolutely loving it. Just like it, true stories is a very experimental film. Like, it's no wonder it came out and flopped in 1985. But uh, the soundtrack is probably the most traditional, conventional uh, album that, that, that I think uh, Talking Heads ever released. And I think actually creating that album forced so much of a strain between David Byrne and the rest of the Talking Heads 
that it eventually led to their breaking up a few years ago, a few years later. Because I think David Byrne really, it was like his baby. And the rest of the talking heads were kind of split up on it. So, right. But yeah, you can tell I'm very unfocused tonight. So <laughs> Dave just left a few a few minutes ago. So after we watched True Stories, it kind of led into like a YouTube hole, right? Where we were watching some stuff by the talking heads. And then it led into us watching a bunch of uh, Meatloaf, like Bad Out of Hell stuff. And uh, Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. So I don't know. It's very, you know, you, you that happens when you get into YouTube, right? You just... I know this was a couple of weeks ago, right? YouTube 2023. But when you start watching videos on YouTube, you know, the the algorithm just leads you down certain rabbit holes. So, right. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I uh, sat down just a few minutes ago and I'm like, ah, it's one o'clock in the morning and maybe I could just like stay up all night and edit a podcast. But I don't want to do that right now, honestly. So uh, I'll, I'll work on it in the morning and maybe I'll, Get to the point where I can release the show tomorrow night or Tuesday. I don't know. I guess you know as you're listening to this, right? So, yeah. But uh, there's been a lot of things uh, just making me lose my focus lately. Um, again, this whole thing with Jessica just uh, having to leave town very suddenly to go and take care of her mother in Savannah, Georgia... Her mother uh, kind of had a mild heart attack last week, and she's okay, very fortunately. But, um, you know, her mother had to go to Savannah, Georgia to kind of be cared on. Um, she just went to the emergency room with kind of some minor chest pains, and it turned out she had an artery that was very blocked, so they had to put a stent in. And Jessica had to go over there to kind of take care of her, to get her on the right track, to kind of help her clean her apartment. And So, uh, yeah, with Jessica gone over the last few days, I've just been very unfocused on whether or not I should go to there and just take care of her and, and uh, or just stay here and take care of my stuff. Because, yeah, right now I'm taking classes at UAB. I'm in the last class of my university uh of my credits to graduate in a master's program in English literature. So I'm taking a class here. I had a test earlier this week. When's the last time you took a test? I don't know. Test, test taking. I haven't taken a test in two decades. Something like that. I had to take a test earlier this week. I got a 100 on it. I was like, what? Did I study for that, or am I just really good at taking tests in a way I never was before? I don't know. It was on grammar, which I've taught grammar before, and uh, none of the stuff was really a surprise to me, so I guess I'm just maybe really good at what I teach. I don't know. That'd be nice. Just to be validated with an actual score on how good you are at something that you do professionally. Um... Yeah. So uh, yeah, right now, like I'm, I'm kind of looking at the clock, and I've been, I've, I've got something due this Friday that's, uh, I've been putting off all weekend long. That's the other thing with focus; it's just procrastination, right? Just putting things off. Oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. Oh, that thing's due in like three months. Oh, I don't have to worry about it until next week. 
<laughs> that's where very much like uh, right now I've got something due in a week that I know has been coming up since uh, uh, oh last September actually yeah I've got this thesis proposal that I gotta get done yeah once I finish up my final class um, at UAB at the university um, I've got to write a thesis to uh, in order to graduate as a master's in English literature. And I know what I want to write about. I'm writing about this Cormac McCarthy book called Sutri that was published in 1979. I'm really excited about writing about this book, and I finally figured out about exactly what I'm going to write about it. Uh, now I've just got to sit down and actually write the damn thing. And, uh, yeah, it's like due next week. And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, I've got to I got to get to that, <laughs> probably I guess. It's uh, only the proposal itself is only eight pages. The actual thesis is going to be about thirty, but I've only got to write eight pages just to tell my thesis committee uh, what I'm going to be writing about, what my angle is, what some of my references are going to be, and I know all this stuff. I've just got to sit down and actually write it on paper, and uh, it seems like an easy task. And, uh, yeah, but I just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, right? That is funny that just, like, um, in life we always have tasks, big task and small task. And it doesn't matter how big or small the task is, we just put it off. Because it's something that's expected of us. And, uh, and we want to make sure everything is right about it. Okay, so... You know, we just got to wait for that perfect moment where our focus aligns, okay? And, uh, yeah, it's very much just like eyesight. Um, you know, our left eye sees one field of vision, our right eye sees the other field of vision. And we've got, we, we work to align those things. And most people are born naturally with the ability to align things, but a lot of people are not also. So they have to go to the optometrist and get glasses, Right. And uh, to, to correct that. And uh, so I guess if you translate that to just outside of the metaphor, it's like most people, every, most people are born with the ability to compartmentalize and think about what's important versus what's, what's not important. And they're able to align the two naturally. Being able to do just fun and frivolous things while at the same time accomplishing the important tasks. But a lot of people are not. So they, what do they do? They go and get medication to help them, just like getting glasses, to help them align the frivolous and the important. And uh, yeah, for years and years and years, I was able to not only see in perfect 20-20 vision, but also to focus uh, perfectly as well to actually be able to see what's important, what's frivolous and be able to align those things and, and, uh, have my cake and eat it too, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, but in the last few years, um, you know, from the time that I began teaching high school, uh, professionally to, uh, quitting that job and going in and finishing my master's degree, I've, um, felt my focus increasingly slip as I get older uh, being able to being unable to really compartmentalize things um, 
and just waking up in the morning and having a cup of coffee and being unable to really understand and prioritize what's important, what's not. And so for that, I went to the doctor and um, he prescribed me some medication, some focus medication, uh, which I went to the doctor and got filled. And um, and uh, I've still got some. I don't take it every day. You're kind of supposed to take it every day. But um, whenever I take it, it just kind of puts me on edge. I feel like I'm not really focusing. I'm just jittering. It's not, I need to talk to my doctor, I guess. I think maybe he overprescribed me or something like that. But, but there's also just that fear that I have about, you know, I, I don't want to be a, a guy who wakes up in the morning and has to have some kind of like artificial stimulant. Well, I guess I have coffee. Okay. Coffee's a little bit different, but I don't want to have to have some kind of medication, something made in a lab that turns me into something that I'm not naturally supposed to be. Um, I want to be able to actually wake up in the morning and focus on my own, being able to accomplish things by my own without, you know, at the end of the day, having accomplished something, looking back and being like, oh, Adderall did that. Um, I need my Adderall. Um, For some reason, I know that coffee is the exact same way. You know, I have this kind of saying that I don't make any decisions about my day until I have my coffee in the morning. And uh, I never used to drink coffee, even when I worked at Starbucks. Um, I never drank coffee because I felt like there was something that was fake about the idea of drinking coffee and having that be your reason for waking up and living every day. I just thought that was kind of fake and phony. And then I started drinking coffee and I, and I became like, oh, my God, this is totally helping me. Oh, holy shit. And then, yeah, later on, I started smoking cigars as well. Cigars, at the end of a very long work day, helped me be able to concentrate. And uh, I would be able to go and smoke a cigar and sit down and, you know, do lesson plans for the next day and do all these things that uh, in one hour, that would, it would take me three hours to do without, without any kind of uh, conditions. So... Uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's kind of the, the moral of my story is that as I grow older, um, I can still focus, but I, I need a lot more things than I used to, <laughs> you know, like when you're a kid, you're be you're, you're able to focus so easy. Um, you know, all you need is just like a little bit of ambition. You know, you can wake up in the morning just thinking as a kid. Um, adults have never tried what I'm about to try. You just have so much arrogance as a child. And, uh, you know, there's a great line in that baseball movie, Bull Durham. Remember? Where Susan Sarandon is kind of talking about Tim Robbins, who was able to... Uh, graduate from the minor leagues to the, to, to the major leagues. And even despite the fact that he's just kind of a dumb person and she has this great line, she says, the world is made for people who aren't cursed with self-awareness. And yeah, part of the, part of the problem with getting older is that we start becoming self-aware and these brash decisions we made as children we were able to just focus on making those decisions because uh, 
because we didn't we didn't have all the second thought that comes in. It's it's really like getting older and just like second thinking everything because of precedence and because of context and all these things that we learned as we get older. And uh, yeah, as we get older, we just we 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 become so self aware that we stop ch- taking major chances and we begin. Um, bringing in all the secondary thought to what should be very simple decisions and convoluting the matter. I don't know. So, yeah. So I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to not uh, edit anymore tonight, and I'm just going to sit out here at 1.30 in the morning and have a cigar and uh, put off all my decisions until tomorrow. And this, for now, what I know is I am absolutely focused on that decision, so I think I'm going to do that. So anyway, yeah. Well, life definitely this gets is my interesting booty, by the way, when you citizen. change your routine. And yeah, that's another side effect of the last few years. Is uh, most people I know the the routine not only has changed, but it bounces around quite a bit. Um, and I, I myself, I've become the appreciator much less everything else that's gone on. Um, things that were stable are now kind of... Well, I don't think anything, e- even the most stablest thing, hasn't been shaken at the very least by uh, everything going on socio-political, health-wise, and uh, economic-wise, which is, you know, the, the big three, I suppose. Uh, the things that seem to be, like, institutions that weren't going working in an office no 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 more of us are working from home and it looks like everybody is caught on that uh, paying rent for uh, offices to home the work of their employees so they can spend the day socializing with their fellow employees and do nothing um, a, a lot of studies have shown that a lot more work gets done when people work out of the home. That I guess when you're home, you want to get it done. You have less distractions, and uh, you create this new routine that is based on getting actual work done. So, and and you don't have to go. There, the the commute time is taken out. The parking, uh, the bus pass, the train pass, all of that. Um, it is kind of cooping one up because now you're not doing all that traveling but it's good you're spending less money on gas and transportation probably one hopes you're making as much money so economically it makes sense however prices have gone up I, i do they have to pay people more to go out of the house i'm not well just this is the nature of things a friend of mine said, when have things never gone up? Which is true, but they've gone up at a much higher rate, perhaps. Uh, it's, they it could be alarming. I mean, even if you can afford the things, looking at that same uh, commodity, and now it's double what it was a couple of years ago, uh, might, might be just a little worrying um, and procrastinating. Uh, you mentioned, oh, I have always been a prize procrastinator, somebody who will wait and wait till the very, very last possible minute 
to do something and then I do it really, really quick. And that's, you know, it gives you more time to think about it if you actually do think about what you're procrastinating about, which could be questionable. I don't always do that. And a lot of people just find it off-putting when they ask you to do something and you don't just, I, especially in like a relationship, people, you know, that they, they want you to take out, not take out the garbage tomorrow, not clean this, that, or the other, or do whatever household task sometime after because you're in the middle of doing the basically nothing practical. What are you making a podcast? Come on, get up that the garbage needs taken out, the whatever. These are, and I'm good. I am good at putting things off. And I'm really, in order to focus better, I am finding that it's not bad to drop everything, you know, some leisure activity. And I also, it more than ever preys on me that I'm not doing what I should. And it's better for my work situation as, uh, well, work situations for us all have shifted around and mine is no exception. I mean, I work in what is obviously a dying field. Bookstores in a few more years are there's simply going to be even less than there are now. And let's face it, look around. When I look around, I would say two-thirds of the bookstores we had, say, 10, 15 years ago are no longer bookstores or have reverted and the owner put all their books in crates in a warehouse and there's some online clearinghouse, a place where you can walk in and look at books like, remember what Borders was like, for example. I mean, you could go there for an afternoon and get coffee and cakes and sit there in the lounge area and then just read that whole book or stick a file through several books and really not, well, I guess you spend money on the, uh, the, the refreshments, but how many books got destroyed there? And I, I think that whole idea, while it drew people out, those last few people who are going to go out to a bookstore, um, because, well, it's hard to say, because I don't think there was ever a time where everybody read, although people read a lot more before radio and television. Certainly, the turn of the last century, uh, there were all of these story magazines and what they called pulp magazines that were very themed. I mean, there were romance stories, train stories, and you would not believe, if you look back, how many Western stories. That was just, uh, today in our modern culture, we just don't realize and certainly don't remember because the people who would have passed on how popular Westerns, ranchers, uh, cowboys and Indians, just typical romances set in a Western theme, stories about horses. Well, people had a closer relation to horses uh, in the late 19th and early 20th century than we have now. If you had transport, you had this horse. And a horse, unlike a car, is an animal, like a pet that you interact with. 
and is literally a part of your life, which is something it took me years to realize. I saw a horse in the same way I saw a car. Yeah, you feed it oats, you wash it, you put a saddle on it, but you actually have to be nice to it and develop a relationship. I mean, yes, you have some sort of relationship with a motor vehicle, but it doesn't look at you with those big brown eyes. And farming was bigger. People just were more with the animals. Um, it's, it's, we are bookstores and uh, my career. Uh, even though most of my job is listing books online, uh, even that, I mean, bigger companies buy all those books warehouse them and sell them on Amazon. And that's pretty much going to be the future of books. Um, it, I am amazed how many people walk into the bookshop I work in. And it, it's apparent that maybe they were in a mall and they walked into a Barnes and Noble or an AP Dalton, which that there I, is there such a thing as AP Dalton or those every mall used to have at least one independent bookstore uh, Mildred's Book Mountain, and, you know, they sell greeting cards and Peanuts t-shirts, as uh, Gene Shepard would talk about. But, yeah, I, I'm way off topic here. But, uh, yeah, the, the bookstores may be on the way out, is the point I'm making. And, and they would serve coffee, which Mike talked about, to bring us back to what Mike was talking about. And, yes, coffee can bring an amazing focus. Uh, it's been part of my life, my whole life. And I've actually cut drastically down over the last few years on my coffee intake. I mean, when I worked in cafes, uh, which is several phases of my life, I mean, I was just drinking coffee like water, more than half a gallon of this stuff a day. And I don't, maybe it was clearing up my marijuana fog, so it serves some sort of purpose. But especially now that I am not in that fog anymore, coffee, really, it's still very essential. It perks me up. It focuses me. And uh, the caffeine is my friend. And uh, I, if, if you're having focus, pro well, I don't know. People who rarely or never drink coffee should really be wary because if you're not used to caffeine, it will certainly and profoundly affect your sleep for quite some time after ingesting depending on your metabolism so that's one thing you got to beware with the coffee is if you like to fall asleep rather easily you're not accustomed to having that in your body uh, i i see it at times people who are just wide awake and they want to sleep and that's not going to happen. Well, we're going to move along in any case because this, I just went way out of focus going off on one of my infamous tangential things about bookstores. I mean, it related. I mean, this is what I do. And when somebody points, but I was talking and that related, and it's very Gene Shepard-like, but the average person, when you're having a conversation, isn't looking for a Gene Shepard monologue. They're looking for me to uh, stay on topic. And so, with that in mind, we'll see the focus of uh, the man who is the uh, head of 
the incredible true facts of space, a.k.a. Titfos, T-I-T-F-O-S, uh, which is a great channel on YouTube. He's hosted the Chadcast. He participates regularly here on the Overnightscape Central and uh, just a great absurdist monologist, if I do say so myself, and another Alabaman. Yet yeah, once again, this week, Alabama is double in the house. Uh, and, and you should be here. You really should be here and focus along with us each week. But stay tuned, and I will uh, cajole you into doing that. I'm now just stretching this out. Let's listen to Chad Bowers on Focus. The thing about focus is that one subject at a time should be addressed. I've been thinking about purchasing this oscillating fan for the back porch. But you know, the back porch gets uh, humid this time of year. It gets hot. We're in Alabama, Birmingham, just south of... Uh, I live south of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, uh, yeah. And it's humid outside. So, you need a good fan. Some people would even say a misting fan. But, I don't really want uh, the water collecting on me... I don't want to be damp, you know? I wear a lot of seersucker when I'm sitting on the porch. I don't want it to absorb the moisture. Doesn't feel good to wear. The, uh... Oh, no, terry cloth. Did I say seersucker? I meant terry cloth. Where is that spandex? What was that Richard Simmons sent me in a care package? He said, Chad, my best friend forever. Um, I've always enjoyed talking with you after I went on David Letterman or Regis and Kathy Lee. Uh, I, I appreciate your conversations. Please enjoy this seven different outfits in spandex. So I installed a ceiling fan this weekend. I... I was searching for maximum airflow. You know, the situation, right? You you've got to you've got to have a lot of airflow to overcome 90 degrees, or uh, you know, let's say it's like nine o'clock. Let's say it's 10 o'clock at night. You know, on a weekend in August, and it's around 90 degrees outside at 10 o'clock. You've uh, you've got a, a high level of humidity. So a fan needs to really blow a lot of air. You got to blow a lot of air. You know, you need a wind speed of like 20 miles per hour to start getting you the windshield readings you uh, you need to achieve, and you got to do that over a wide area. You ever watch these YouTube videos where they um, these cars with blue and red lights sneak up on these other cars on the interstate, and they chase them sometimes for hours and uh if you're the kind of person that you know finds yourself really liking the chase scenes in a good movie you ought to watch some of these uh 
these chase videos. You know, these guys in these these cars with blue and red lights, they're like sneaking up on the road and they come up on this like other car and he's already going fast, but now they're tailing him and they're whipping it in between traffic. They're threading the needle. They're riding on the uh, the shoulder of the road. Sometimes they go off the road a little bit. And then this maneuver they have, the uh, the red and blue people have come up with this uh, with this maneuver. It's called the pit maneuver. And uh, what you want to do is you got to come up on the back of the car, and you get your uh, on the front of your your car. You you might have these iron bars, you know, these pusher bars. You can. You can bust right through gates with those things, you know. You ever meet people that have a uh, old uh, Panther platform cars? You know, you meet these car nuts that are uh, uh, that are just goofus for gallant on these uh, Panther platform, Ford Panther platform. The the latest variation of it was underpinnings were. Something along the lines of 1979 to 2011. I don't know. Some some ridiculously long, long-lifed vehicle. But they were body-on-frame construction. Which the nice part about that, if you're a police department, is that you can put them on the straightener at the body shop. And you can actually pull from different directions and you can straighten the frame, then you can lower the body back on. It's, uh, it's great if your cars are going to get beat up a lot, you know, and you're going to fix them yourself. It's a, it's a really good way to do things. But that was one advantage of the Panther. The other, of course, was it had a, a great-sized engine bay. It had a great trunk. They've mostly replaced them with SUVs at this point, but the chase scenes are uh, much better than the movies. Now, not all of them are, you know. It's it's a type of YouTube watching that that's best done alone, mainly so other people don't pity you. It's hard to really watch what you want to watch on YouTube with with anyone else present because sometimes, you know, you're you know, you're watching the mating practices of uh, the black honey ant that lives in the uh, southern delta region and these little honey ants don't even bite they're about a fifth the size of a regular ant and some people don't even consider them pests i've i've seen people ignore them whole hog and overlook them entirely every you know room of their house had some evidence of uh, lines of these little bees crawling around but they didn't see them they didn't choose to see them it's how they were living their life and you know it's how they want to live their life and it wasn't until very recently that they started protesting they started uh telling me that frankly my uh, you know my tolerating them having these insects in every room was no longer satisfactory. I, they needed me to just come out and say it, that I support them. I support the ignorance of ants 
in one's dwelling, the uh, the practice of pretending there are not ants crawling on the wall, feeding the ants with peanut butter. It's said to be one of the more complete food sources when it comes to ants. They can live on bananas and or peanut butter. Peanut butter is kind of easy to spread around and doesn't go mushy or turn brown like bananas do. Of course, uh, I've observed on the earth people during my visit here that there is a solution to brown bananas. The lady of the house should approach the bananas from straight on. Uh, there should be at least two or three feet on either side. And then that is, as you approach, you say, you grab them by the crown if they're all, you know, still held together. I'm going to make some banana bread. So, there is a solution to brown bananas. You ever heard of that comic strip called Whole Lotta? There's uh, this girl named Lot. She was big, big as a house. And they called her Lotta. Or was it Lottie? Big Lottie. Just one of those uh, things that sort of drifted through my beam of focus this week. Let's see here. And uh, we will H here. A there. D at the end. Straight line. I ordered um, this oscillating. Is it now part of me thinks that the word should be reciprocal, a reciprocal fan, but that doesn't really make sense. There's a, a neuron got tangled there, it's uh, it's clearly oscillating, periodic oscillation. <laughs> uh, tech support, my fan has periodic oscillations. Oh, yeah, there's a cord you can pull for that. It'll stop it immediately. This one that I uh, that I got though, the ceiling fan I put in this weekend, I had searched everywhere. You know, I was trying to get just this incredible tornado in a box. I found one DC motor. It was on Amazon, and it claimed, and and this is just this is by far the highest I've ever seen on a uh, non-commercial fan. Commercial being that you're going to spend three or four hundred dollars, you know, for the smallest of the big ass fans that that a company like that makes with a powerful DC motor. Of course, it pulls the wattage too. You know, one of those big ass fans. You know, one reason it's so powerful is it, uh, it uses about thirty times more energy than the Hunter fan in your bedroom. This 10,500 cubic feet uh, fan, I really was excited, you know. And I don't know if you've done it, but uh, putting up a fan, you've got to get the ladder. you got to reach over your head. you got to take apart the old fan. you got to get all the wires out. Um, got to clean them up, straighten them, 
retwist them, you know, if they're twisties. Of course, you've got the, the Romex coming out of the ceiling, the electrical wire from the switch. Uh, because this is a multi-way switch, there was a um, there was a black, there was a white, there was a uh, a copper. That's your your ground, and then there was also a red, and the red was the switch closest to the door, and the black was the uh, power feed from the second innermost switch, and then since these switches are are wired uh, in this fashion the the two first switches share the same common coming back it's interesting you know i um i've gotten shocked before trying to put up ceiling fans because the first time i i connected a, a fan to i think they call it a double pole setup where you have a, a wall switch by the bathroom that can turn the fan on and off. Um, then you have a switch by the door that can turn the fan on and off also. And then next to it is a switch that can turn the light on by itself or the light off. So I'm taking it, you know, I'm taking apart what was there. Uh, this was pre-digital camera, so I, you know, I couldn't really take a picture of the wiring. I guess I could have drew it. I could have got some... Uh, some magic markers out, but I did not, and I forgot, uh, you know, how things were connected, and I turned the power off, I turned the breaker off, no power, no power going to the fan, well, son of a, you know, you know the rest of this story, right, the the switch on the other side of the room was on another breaker panel, and uh, both were sending, you know, power to the fan but uh in some instances but or were capable both were capable of sending power <laughs> to the fan. your honor i'd like to strike the uh the whole last section there it uh it it, it makes the uh, the legal profession look sad oh well it, it'll be all right so it didn't work you know i i went I got shocked. That's the whole story. And then the the fan this last weekend that I put up the ten thousand five hundred cubic feet per minute fan, it didn't work. Oh God, you know, at that point you're about done. You know, everything's kind of connected. Uh, so you don't flip the power on for a second, just you know, see it turn. Nothing. So I checked the breakers. I, Check the, uh, the 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 electric feed coming out of the wall. You know, I had my meter with me, so I could see that. Yeah, I had, you know, I had I had the right voltage, everything right there. Uh, it's just once it entered the fan's little computer, you know, on top of it, the way that that fan worked, if they had a little box and you ran power to the box, the box internally had um, a fan management you know, motherboard or a little board of, uh, of circuits and things. And it would send power to the fan, uh, at one of, you know, five or six levels as you know, pushed on the remote control. 
there were no pull things either. The fan without the remote would not even be usable. You know, this is the this is the modern way some fans are uh, are going on the Amazon.com anyway. Amico, A-M-I-C-O, was the uh, fan here. And I noticed some other reviews where people had mentioned they'd received dead-in-the-box items. And, you know, I, I didn't think it happened to me. I figured, well, obviously somebody's going to get a dead fan, so you never know. And statistically, I might be completely normal. It might be less than 1% of the fans are uh, defective and... I guess for for this company, maybe that's good enough. You know, maybe that's uh, maybe that's good enough for some folks, huh? Well, oh, it's just the irritation of having put it up and then have like, oh shit, you know, put it, take it all, all that work for nothing, you know. So, so I put it back in the box and I went and bought a, a fan at Lowe's. It was just a plain. Hunter uh, outdoor rated 55 inch I think ceiling fan and uh, and it works great as have every Hunter fan that I've purchased has worked perfectly flawlessly um, very smooth don't rock just everything you'd want out of a fan uh, except for the cubic feet per minute because on high the one I put out there is only about 5,000 which is still pretty damn good. Uh, you know, the the cheapest fans you can buy. Just cheap builder grade piece of shit. Someone, you know, says, hey, I want to put a ceiling fan in this house. And I want it to be the cheapest 52-inch ceiling fan one can buy. You know, That fan's probably about $100. And uh, it'll put out about 2,000 cubic feet per minute on its best day with a a tailwind so you know you gotta give them props for not a bad price hunter makes a a very nice ceiling fan and it's a, a modern fan which is very quiet and uses almost no electricity you know we're, we're talking 10 cents every couple months you know can we verify that? We any fact checkers out there? Anybody fact checking this in real time? Listening to the things I say while the screen you're viewing the world through gives a little a little flash, and if you look up in that direction, it'll it'll further define you know things that have uh, that have come in that are sort of a trouble ticket item, and then. Off to one side of that will be, you know, interpretations of signs that were around you or conversations that your microphones walking around heard during the day that you did not consciously hear. But in the background, you know, the automatic uh, artificial intelligence is looking through all of this information that you weren't even aware of through the day. But it went along gathering everything it could see. And... Um, using its ability to convert text from photos at odd angles. You know, if, if there was anything written on a grease board in someone's room that you went into that might be pertinent to you or helpful to you, uh, your AI assistant in the background is building a full report 
that'll be available at night. You can just uh, common menu wherever you want to stick it. You know, glance up at it, launch that, and you will see a review of the day you didn't see around you. Um, snippets of conversations of other people, other directions that were picked up. And who knows where this, uh, you know, fully augmented intelligence, once that, um, you know, battle starts playing out, and, and battle in the sense that, you know, you're working with some people, and the three sharpest people out of the 50-person office have uh, have started wearing these gadgets. And first it was just the CEO and the, the VP, a couple of VPs, and now you're seeing people, you know, on your floor wearing them, your level, starting to wear these, just one or two, but uh, they're kind of the thought leaders of the group, and they're starting to pull even further ahead. And so... Everybody will come back. The flying people, pyramid people, yeah, those people with the burning bush and the wheels within wheels and time travel and babies, all manners of, uh, of powerful entities. Entities present. What are the entities present? Do we know there's more than one? We don't really know there's more than just us. But the entities present, uh, how does it work? What's the nature of reality? Is it a 30 symmetry constellation? We don't know. It could be that the act of thinking, the act of paying attention, the, the act of remembering is constructing things forwards and backwards in time simultaneously because time is not real, doesn't really exist. There is actually no time, so you know, whatever the uh, apparent expansion of the universe is doing, whatever the trillions of years of, of time that we, you know, like to say have passed based on the movement of Earth around our sun, it, uh, you know, it kind of seems like time's moving because we're... we're thinking about time, you know, but really you're always just right now, you're either remembering the past or thinking about the future. And there's only one possible right now, you know. But then if you zoomed out and everything happened at once, then you know, all 30 billion years, all, all trillion years, however long it, uh, it wants to be, it doesn't matter. It's just a, an event. Have you... Have you ever heard about the way the uh, people viewed time before clocks? You know, time was, in the time of the, uh, the Bible was written, Old Testament, 
time of the Old Testament was written. Time of the uh, time of the Egyptian pyramids, you know, was that four thousand years ago? The the people that built the Sphinx ten thousand years ago. What about those folks? You know, it was the same. All that history. That's a long time, you know. Ten thousand years of stories and tales of this flood that started everything. It's old, old stuff. The oldest stuff. These things happened in, uh, in a sense that like a life happened. A life was here and then it wasn't. Um, you know, the the tree was was you know sprouted and and I watched it grow and my son's great great grandson saw it. Uh, fall over in a storm 400 years later, you know. It's just interesting to to think that without time, just this one, just this one possibility, and then if we're creating even that part of it just by the act of thinking about it, then what is really going on? Uh, how you explain this? That's my question. Yeah, so... Yeah, so I pass on. I'm walking down this really cool hallway. It's a beautiful collections of ephemera from tens of thousands of years of, uh, of human culture. Rubik's cubes, you know what I'm saying? Faberge eggs, <laughs> bottles of brute deodorant, and uh, pong machines from the early 70s. Basket full of microchips. Remember the Pentium chip? Remember how the uh, impressive that was at the time? The Pentium one, two, three. What they do? They do Pentium 4, Pentium 5. I think 5, they changed the name of it. So I ordered this other fan from Amazon. And uh, and I don't even want it, unfortunately. I was thinking that it had a stand on it. And I was thinking, you know what? I could mount that stand on the wall and we could aim that fan wherever we want. And uh, about 10 minutes later, I thought about it. I was like, oh, that's kind of not look very nice so um so i went to cancel it but man amazon is so fast that they had already i guess put it in a truck they did something but it was too it was too far gone you know it's like nope you gotta get it so so i'm gonna send that fan back the broke fan from amazon i also sent back today but then uh there's this other fan and it's this reciprocating fan 18 inches wide. It's on Amazon. One of the neat things about it is uh, search for outdoor reciprocating fan. And uh, you can join me in taking a, taking a look at it right now. It's got the, uh, the word Vivor, uh, V-E-V-O-R, right there on the front, sort of a black circle with orange writing. I'll have to change that label, you know. Maybe I can 
put some kind of a sticker over that just to make it look a little nicer. I don't, I don't want that orange word always looking at me out there. But, but the cool thing about this little fan is that it has uh, two pull chains. One pulls and starts the rotation, the oscillation, 90 degrees oscillation. And then it's got like this metal bar it sits on, and that metal bar goes back, and, and there's some things you bolt into the the wall. And uh, and then on the other side, there's the, another cord, and if you pull that cord, that's one of three speeds. And really powerful. If you check this out, it's, uh, what, 4,000 CFM, cubic feet per minute. 3,000 on low, 3,550 on medium, uh, and 4,000 on high. But see, 3,000 is a good high number, man. If you just had it on low, that's what I'm thinking. I just want the uh, quiet breeze. I don't need all the air. But it's got these metal, it's like a, I don't know, what is it, like a fifth horsepower motor with the, uh, with the metal blades and three metal blades that thing will chop your damn finger off man you put your finger in that crate you're gonna lose a finger they show somebody sitting in their exercise room and they've got their treadmill up and they've got the fan in front of them and they're turning that fan up as they go faster on the treadmill a little virtual reality I was thinking about the virtual reality of uh, telephone calls. The, the fact that all those years that we made long-distance phone calls, and even when I was younger, back when it was still necessary to dial zero to dial long-distance, my uh, father would have me... Uh, Go get on the the princess phone in uh, my mom uh, by my mom's bed, and Tony would go get on his phone. He had one of those uh, standard looking, just drop dead standard. Gosh, I've I've forgotten the name of it. I had to look it up. Model twenty five hundred phones. But anyway, so we'd all get on our you know extensions. Everybody's listening in. My dad would pick up the the kitchen phone, and I uh, press zero. And they, uh, I need a state to state operator. Connecticut. And then we would all listen, you know. But uh, so my grandfather, grandmother, Uncle Bob, Aunt Julie, um, Uncle Eddie. You know, just Caitlin, they're just all be available. You could talk to them. And when we were doing so, we were all in cyberspace. You know, we didn't know we were in cyberspace back then, but that whole time we were hanging out in cyberspace together. I remember the odd phone numbers I dial in Mobile. There was this one number... And all my friends knew it, you know. There was, of course, uh, the time, but there was this other number. You call this other number, and it was like a radar sweep. You'd hear, boo, 
but it'd go through the whole range and it would just do it repeatedly. I never figured out what that number was. I, I'd like to think that it was a numbers station or some other, you know, top secret James Bond-like broadcasting situation. And you just dialed in to listen to how the, you know, to how the transmitter was doing. And if that sound went through the whole sweep, well, the transmitter's fine. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? Hey, man. Listen, you know them, uh, them weird birds I was telling you about? Well, them birds, they, they've been following me around again. They're everywhere. Hard to see them. It's like they're out of focus, man. That's what's wrong, those birds are. Those birds are out of focus. Hey, projectionist. You need to come in here. That movie you're showing is out of focus. See them. It's like they're out of focus, man. That's what's wrong, those birds are. Those birds are out of focus. Hey, projectionist. You need to come in here. That movie you're showing is out of focus. Focus, <laughs> focus, focus. Yeah, that's. Uh, remember that band, Focus, and their song, Hocus Pocus. Yep, though that again, another digression, and uh, another brilliant segment that bears. Uh, that the nice thing about Chad's contributions, both in his programs and here, is they absolutely reward repeat listening. He really covers a lot of ground. And, and there's a lot of subtle, absurdist humor involved that uh, it's delicate, it's precious, and uh, it, it's one of the highlights, I feel, of the Overnightscape Central project, which is ongoing, and we are exploring you know, focus and the tip to everything from uh, paying attention to uh, working as a projectionist and uh, making sure that the picture is folk or photographers although now that there's the auto focus um uh, bob guccione is, is shutters and uh, to those of you and shutters at the same time and those of you who know who bob guccione is will get that terrible terrible joke and uh, another digression as i continue to try to focus on focus here on the central and a man who can both focus and digress, much like Gene Shepard, is Frank Edward Nora. And uh, next up, without further ado, let us hear what Frank has to say, especially in this very tumultuous time in his life, about focus. Remember that song where they're like yodeling, like yodel, 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 yodel? What is that song? It's... um. Hocus Pocus by Focus, right? Yeah. That was a good song. It was a, uh, I think, a Dutch prog band called Focus. 
And that was their big hit, Hocus Pocus. I, I, I did delve into their broader catalog at, at one point, but didn't make a huge impression on me. That, that's a pretty good song. Of course, uh, focus as a word does uh, rhyme with hocus and pocus. <laughs> so I guess that's why they named the song that. But yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's the biggest band named Focus, I think. Are there any bands that have, like, Focus in their name, but it's not their whole name? Like Mr. Focus or Dr. Focus? Dr. Focus would be kind of good. Dr. Focus. It's a good band name. Then there was a, uh, a part of this pinball machine called Creature from the Black Lagoon by, I think it was by Williams. Great game. I think it's from late 80s, early 90s, and uh, it's basically the pinball machine is you're someone seeing the movie The Creature of the Black Lagoon at a drive-in movie theater in like the 1950s. It's kind of a high-concept game, and one of the shots is called Focus. It's like, Focus! And uh, because like the projectionist, the film is out of focus. And you had to, and, and they sort of represented on the on the DMD, the digital. What do they call that? The, you know, it's called sort of a monochrome, uh, little bitmap display. You know what I'm talking about? Usually, kind of like an orange color. You see the film being focused. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of times when you go see a movie. Like, you know, like in the old days, it would just be one company. It'd be like MGM. You see that big line? Rah! MGM, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. And then you see the movie. But now you go to the movies, and there's like 20 different companies that that made the movie. How are all these... Didn't they, you ever hear that phrase? Too many cooks spoil the broth? There's like so many different companies making the movies. And one of them is usually focus features, right? And it is kind of like out of focus. Focus features. It's like the eighteenth one. Focus features and bad robot and uh, Canon films. Wait, I think they're out of business. But anyway, didn't they make the Terminator? One of the Terminator movies. Remember Canon films? All these film companies that went out of business. Focus features. Like what? Are, what is there? What do they make? Like art films? What's up with focus features? I don't know. I've seen that a lot, though. But you you see it, and then you kind of promptly forget it. Like, it's not really. I, I know they have to have the credit there, but it's like, oh yeah, this this one's going to be really good. It's by Focus Features. Yeah, yeah. And then there's got there's like a lot of things called In Focus. This week on In Focus, <laughs> like it's got to be like a local television show, or a magazine or something. I could definitely sort of envision like a. Like you're watching TV, it's sort of like Sunday morning at like 8 a.m. And the show comes on that you don't really want to watch. It's like this week on In Focus. Frisbees, where do they come from? (laughs) Well, the Whammo Corporation, of course. You know, just like like these boring shows on Sunday morning. This week on In Focus. But yeah, the concept of focus, it, I mean, it, it starts off with uh, the focus of light, right? And essentially starts with our eyes, right? And things can be out of focus and then in focus, especially if you need glasses and you look at things. Like I do need glasses. 
I'm near nearsighted. No, farsighted, right? No, I'm nearsighted. <laughs> Whatever. I, I can see things in focus close up, but in the distance, they get a little blurry. So that's why I have glasses to see in the distance. And um, how would you describe it? It's very hard to describe. It's just things look a little fuzzy in the distance. Like if you want to see, like if you want to read small type in the distance, like looking at some board games across the basement here, I really can't read it. But if I had my glasses on, I could definitely read it because it would be in more focus. But what is it? It's sort of... What is blurriness? What is focus? Like, we know what it is. We experience it. But it's very hard to kind of define. It's uh, a sharpness. <laughs> uh, well, how does this all work anyway? Right? Like, as I'm looking at something here... There's light. Obviously, there's a light source, right? So in this case, the light source is actually from outside. The light source is the sun. But I'm, the sun is not directly shining in here. So in my basement here, the light source essentially is from these two windows, which are sort of reflected or refracted light from the sun that's been bouncing a bunch of times and eventually hitting in here. And... uh <clears throat> but, right, if you imagine my eyes, like, I'm only seeing the light rays that are coming directly kind of towards me, but there's, like, light rays going in every direction because you can move around the basement, and it's not like, oh, at one point, everything's dark. Wherever you go, it'll be, you'll see the kind of the same light pattern, right? So that means that, as I sort of envision it, the air, the space... The open space in the basement here, there's essentially light beams going in every single direction, right? Which, yeah, is... Like, imagine there was just one light source, like a very bright light, and you sort of only reflected it once with a mirror, right? The idea is that the mirror itself, or then if, if it hit that very sharp light hit on the wall then the light is sort of by the surface of the wall which has a paint right it each light beam kind of hits the wall and depending exactly if you were to zoom into the surface of the paint it would be this this very rough surface with all these different ups and downs and so each photon supposedly of light that hits it is going to kind of bounce off in a different direction and of course, there's, what is there, like, how many photons are going on in the basement here? Billions, trillions, quadrillions, bouncing around in every possible direction. So that there's this sort of field of light rays that are just bouncing around in every possible direction. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> so... I guess the idea is that your eyes are only... It's like a little lens, and whatever beams are going towards your eyes is the ones that go in. I guess that's sort of the purpose of a lens, is to sort of collect these beams all going in slightly different directions and sort of redirect those beams uh, at the back of your eye. 
and obviously this is very similar to like a camera lens and and we all know playing around with cameras and stuff you can there's a you, you can play around with focus at least like the old analog like if you have a, a thing where you know you have a lens that you can sort of manually spin around and that changes the focus so but what i'm not quite getting is right it's not like you you usually see when it comes to a lens a, a chart that shows oh here's the light rays coming in and then the then it gets bent and and uh all the light rays get bent and they're sort of all directed to a smaller space you by the lens but i understand some light rays are coming in directly sort of perpendicular parallel parallel to the lens itself but then there's innumerable ones that are slightly different angles right so how does it accommodate that you see what i'm saying i i've always said light is all these issues related to light are very very hard to understand though we experience it all the time it's hard to understand what's actually going on like why is it that like if you look down a road it's like it's it's like sort of the two lines are sort of converging at a point you know the vanishing point like why does that happen you know and don't even get me started on holograms that whole thing you've seen have you seen holograms whenever anyone how does it work how how can you encode three-dimensional data into, into like a piece of film oh well what you do is you you have a, a source image and then you have this reference beam, they're just telling you how they make them. Yeah, I get that you can make a hologram. Obviously, I'm looking at one. But how does it work? Like, what's... Like, if you were to zoom in with a microscope to the actual film, it's just like a bunch of little dots and concentric circles. Like, how does that make a three-dimensional image? Uh, what do they say? It's it's a, it's a uh, differentiation or... Um, what's the right word? What's the word I'm thinking of? Um diffraction no it's uh, uh uh i'll think of it in a moment interference it's an interference wave or something but it, it's one thing to sort of observe a phenomena uh, observe a phenomenon and say this this is what we're observing but then you can't just describe the steps you took to produce it to explain how it works right it's all very mysterious. There's the mechanics of light that is, you know, even the idea of light itself. It's a form of electromagnetic radiation. It's a wave-particle duality, right? It, it, has, it has properties of a wave, which we know waves are like not really a thing. It's a pattern, you know, like when there's waves in water, right? The medium is water, but the wave is a, is a, is a pattern of uh, motion, of energy. It is not the water, but it, it uses the water for its pattern. So there's not a thing. And a particle is like, it's a thing unto itself. But light is both a wave and a particle, supposedly. And then there's the whole aspect of... Uh, you know, we can kind of understand how our eyes work kind of like cameras and that there's a, there's some sort of signal generated 
by the eye that is then sent as you sort of see there's like kind of a wire thing that goes back from the eye into the brain <laughs> i guess i don't really even want to think about that it feels very mechanical uh is this aspect of focus how our visual sense works it makes no sense to me and then you start talking about holograms and you can explain them to me all you want I can see them. You can place them in front of me. Holograms are impossible. Uh, they're like magic or something. There's something that whatever... I mean, I'm not even sure how I see it. My eyesight, as I get older, gets wonkier and wonkier. So focus in that aspect is certainly troubling. Uh, the, the stigmatism where you can see clearly in this tiny little zone, say uh, two and a half inches to seven inches from my eye, everything's fine. As it gets farther away, we get some problems. And if it gets too close, um, it, there's problems. Uh, whatever focus that works on your eyes, um, and, and then blindness and all of the rest of it, how the visual senses work and even uh, like drawing and I'm trying to draw more from life now just seeing light and shadow and understanding how that works I mean my normal artwork is stylized cartoony and those aspects I can stylize or fake altogether but to make something look real and see light and color and all of the aspects that somebody who really, to me, sees and can use that eye and hand and mind, recognize the different colors and hues and where shadow moves and how it, that's just, it's all impossible. Take my word for it. Hello, Mr. Mojo Fuzzer the cat. Cats have very good eyesight. Hey, kitty. No, you can't go under there. Kitty. He wants to go under it. He thinks that he can go under this my bag like a like a blanket, but there's really no way to go under, Kitty. <clears throat> but you know, like I'm looking around in my basement and my cat here, so like I get that somehow the 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 small portion of light rays that's going in this direction hits my eye, and then kind of it gets sort of focused onto the back of my eye. Uh, and then it's uh, there's all these sensors that produce some sort of electrical signals that then go in that wire back into my into my brain. <laughs> it's all very it's all very disturbing to think about this stuff. And then we have this. This is the area in question. Then what? And then at the end of it, I, the observing consciousness experiences a uh, a kind of information which I interpret as an image, you know. Uh, and then it's not just an image, but there's meaning overlaid on the image. What is the, uh, that in-between stage? Uh, uh, the brain is taking that signal and interpreting it, not just a, series of shapes and colors and intensities but meaning overlaid on it like i'm looking around my basement there's a stool there's a bag there's a tv set there's a board game there's a book 
How do I know this? Well, as I uh, as as I experience the two dimension the the two two dimensional fields, right? I experience a sense of a uh, 3D, and you can see this clearly by closing one eye or the other. And when you close one eye, things look a bit flatter. And then when you open both eyes, you get sort of a three-dimensional look. But oh, the only way to say it is overlaid on top of each object is a piece of information sort of describing what that object is, right? Like, how do I know that that's a bag? Well, I'm just experiencing the sense of bag looking at that, right? So what is, what is going on in between the, the signal from the eye and then the conscious experience, right? That's the big question. I don't think we know, but I think from a uh, materialist perspective, you know, you would say that this brain of ours is taking the raw visual signal and doing crunching all those numbers recognizing shapes, somehow overlaying the information on top of the visual image in how, <laughs> like as an additional, it's just, is it all just an electrical signal defining two two-dimensional images, but then also adding meaning on top of it in what form additional electrical signals? Uh, I mean, obviously it works. Obviously it does work. But what's in the black box in between the eye and the experience? That's the question. Uh, I I tend to think of it in terms of... I mean, it's so funny how these everyday experiences sort of contain the greatest mysteries we face. The nature of consciousness and then this layer of interpretation. I mean both in terms of let's say the let's say the brain is done calculating the two two dimensional images and then the overlaying of meaning on top of it and that's sort of okay so that could be distilled down into kind of like a broadcast a signal right a sing, uh, uh, okay so the brain has this uh great final result of the calculations great then what it's in the brain. The brain is a biological computer with electrical signals going through it. Me, I, my consciousness, my the experiencer, in my opinion, is clearly not the brain. It's something else. It's something outside of the human body. It's something outside of this reality. The experiencer, right? It's... It is the one of the most difficult philosophical or scientific questions out there. Where, but I'm it. I'm 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 observing, and you're observing. You're listening to this right now. Where are we? What are we, as an observer? Uh, because all of the science stuff and the materialist stuff describing this situation, we might imagine life forms that can react to stimuli and have developed over enormous spans of time to 
react to stimuli in more and more complex ways in order to maximize survival, right? Light hits the eye, the eye calculates uh, a response, and then the response happens. Well, you know, that could all happen without any sense of observation, consciousness, awareness, right? You, you could have those automatic clockwork uh, 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 things going on without any consciousness, without any observation. Why would you need observation? It's just reacting to stimuli, right? So, I mean, we're, we're, we're faced with this mystery. This is <laughs> a central mystery. Um, but I guess the question is now, since we don't really have any cons, I, I don't know the nature of consciousness or that is what I am though. How, how can I not understand it? But how does like, I suppose the act of observation would be able to receive the information of all the patterns of what's going on in, in the thing being observed, including um, patterns of information in the biological computer of the brain, I suppose. It's maddening. It's maddening, these questions. But when I really delve deep into these questions, it sort of feels like this sense that there's a physical world and then there's light bouncing around it and then this part of the physical world, a biological entity has these eyes that are like little cameras and um, light goes in and then this biological computer interprets it and then that signal is sent somewhere else out into the cosmos that has an awareness. It seems like at all those stages everything's kind of disconnected and not part of the same thing. But another way to view it is just that this is all part of one thing, right? The world, the light, the mind, the brain, the observer is all just part of one thing, is, is right? And that's where we sort of get to the concept of, uh, you know, uh, God as uh, an, as a, being an entity, a thing that was one thing, is one thing, but has uh, has uh, decided to split itself up into subdivisions, right? And so all of these things I'm talking about, including light, including focus, objects, beings, minds, it's all just uh, representations of internal divisions within within the mind of God, right? That is how 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 would God divide itself up into two? Right? It's that creating this barrier of some kind and then whatever's in part A is sort of cut off from what's in part B, right? And then the additional splits continuing geometrically, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512. How far can I go with this? 10, 24. Uh, yeah, it's a bit harder to do the math in your head after that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> right. So as what we observe as uh, 
separateness, right? Like my body is separate from that TV set over there. Like that's my body is one object and that TV set is another object, right? And I'm in my house, but then there's houses next door to me. And then there's town. I'm in one town, but there's a town next door to me. All these representations of subdivisions and disconnections are all just manifestations of this uh, process of uh, division, uh, of setting up walls between sections of something that is overall whole. So light even in, is would be something that is representational of the those cuts, those divisions, those walls, because like uh, this, you know, my bookcase over there is separate from me. And the only way I can sort of understand and perceive what it is, is, is this intermediate medium of light that's bouncing off of it, right? All in the the goal of, I think, what various philosophers have talked about, that this God mind, this monad, whatever you want to call it, wants to understand itself more by creating these subdivisions. Or perhaps it's just to amuse itself. But ultimately, none of these things are really separate. They're all part of the same thing. And the divisions are deliberate, intentional, and somewhat arbitrary. But when I talk about how are these things processed, where's the black box? Well, it's all inside the same thing. It's all part of one thing, right? That is, in its natural state, whole and a complete and a totality unto itself that these uh, differentnesses are is that a, is that a good word differentnesses I don't know if I ever used that word differentnesses before nisses kind of sounds like Nissa remember the companion from Doctor Who see I'm losing focus see this is the other another aspect of focus mental focus Right, they have a. Remember, there was that that great that great drug they used to make up on TV, ginkgo biloba. It, it it almost sounds like Rocky Balboa, ginkgo biloba. Somehow they they found some sort of leaf out in and out, out in the rainforest that can somehow make your brain better. Are you losing mental focus? Well, of course we all are. <laughs> Take ginkgo biloba. No, it's not Rocky Balboa. It's ginkgo biloba. It will help you. It will help you think think good <laughs> with ginkgo. I think I had it a few times. I don't know. Does it really make you think good? I don't know. It could help, I suppose. Anything could help with mental focus. And sort of on the other end, they 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 describe something called brain fog, where where you're sort of like you're sort of out of it and you're lacking mental focus. Like your your thoughts are just all over the place. You're not really clearly on one thing. I know a lot of people describe with the, like the COVID, the COVID nineteen uh, disease that uh, is it a disease or a syndrome? I think it's a syndrome. <laughs> it's a sickness. Yeah. Um, oh, that sort of reminds me of that palindrome. Doc, note: I dissent. A fast never prevented a fatness. I died on cod. 
See, I'm totally losing. I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately trying to lose focus to illustrate a lack of focus in thinking, yes. Doc, note I dissent. A fast never, is it prevents a fatness? I diet on cod. That's a really good one. I think whoever made up that palindrome must have been real proud of themselves. Yeah. Doc. Hello, doctor. Listen to me. I, I disagree with you. Okay. Fasting is not the way to lose weight. It does not prevent fatness. For me, my answer to you is that I, 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 I eat a diet of this fish known as cod. Yes. Is that, is, that a good, is that a good illustration of lack of focus? I think so. I'm just obsessing on various palindromes. Gee, I kind of do that every day. <laughs> remember remember uh, Shambles, uh, Bumper Chain Cosmic, was it last month? Had a, was it, All the titles were based on palindromes. That was a good one. That was a good series of titles. Shambles, I like that one. Yes. Remember I had that, uh, those titles to those songs from the Tree Bag Ask, and they were sort of related to palindromes, like the song Otis Stood. That's like one of my favorites. It was sort of what happens after the palindrome, sort of like, you know, sit on a potato pan, Otis. Such a great palindrome. But then what ha afterwards, at some point, Otis stood. He stood up. He's like, no, I will no longer sit on that potato pan. And what is a potato pan anyway? Isn't a pan like a very thin thing? How can I even sit on it? I guess I, I guess you can sit on anything, but it's not going to be a very comfortable chair. Otis stood. And another one, there's a, there's a more obscure palindrome, which is uh, Daedalus 9, Peninsula Dead. Almost like a like a sporting score here in Daedalus versus Peninsula. The score uh, Peninsula has scored nine and uh, sorry da Daedalus has scored nine and Pen Peninsula. Well, they're just dead. They're dead. They're gone. They're done. Nothing. Zero. So I had a song called uh, Peninsula Alive. They came back to life. All right, that's an illustration of of lack of mental focus. Now let's try to illustrate focus focusness. Uh, gee, that's gonna be that's gonna be a bit harder. I I I think a, I think a, a a blurry state of mind is my natural state, actually. And by the way, I just want to say, today is Sunday, the twenty third of July, two thousand and twenty three. Why every time I say the date do I feel like I'm lying? I that is the date as far as I know. I, I I don't know. I guess let's get unfocused again. I guess uh, in in my in my gut, as they say, I I you know it's not really twenty twenty three. There's some I I don't know. Uh, but how what like what does that even mean? Like am I just sort of plugged into some sort of matrix in the year eight thousand and pretending it's like a simulation of twenty twenty three? But at some level, I know it's not really twenty twenty. It does. It just I don't know. But I just always have that reaction when I say the date. I feel like I'm lying. But I, I'm not. I, that's the date as far as I know it. At some level, in a very unfocused level of my mind, I, I, I know that it's all fake. It's not really whatever. That I'm just in the past. I guess if you want to use Mr. Occam's razor, or is it Dr. Ozum? Dr. Dr. Oz. <laughs> Dr. Oz. Dr. Occam. Who was that guy, Occam, with his razor? The philosophy that says the simplest explanation is often the, the most, usually the, the correct explanation. 
that, it would just be that, yes, what I consider the world that I'm in now, Earth 2023, New Jersey, yada, yada, is just some kind of video game. And I'm playing, I'm, I'm somewhere else playing this game. And the fact that I sort of have this deep-seated sense that it's uh, further in the future than 2023, that this is a simulation of the past. It's a recreation of the past in some way, in some sort of video game or simulation or virtual reality system in the future, which, of course, as we anticipate our technologies advancing with AI, etc., it does seem that a, a very accurate recreation of the past is very will be very possible. And then just the mechanism of um, allowing this fully immersive experience, um, you know, with our current VR, very primitive VR systems, you could get a halfway here to where it sort of feels like I'm just in this body, in this world, and I have no idea where I really am, right? It's just a higher technology. Is that what's really going on? Yes. <laughs> No, I don't know. There's plausible deniability. Maybe this world is real. And, and all of what I'm talking about are just delusions based on various science fiction TV shows I've seen. See, that's probably... See, when you want to talk about Occam's Razor, that the world is just real. And, and I'm, just, I'm just going on flights of mental fancy based on sci-fi TV shows. There you go. But what is ment mental, mental focus, mental clarity? That is, if, you're, if you... It's basically task-related, right? If you want to achieve something, you need to focus your mind. You usually are thinking about a million different things, but you need to sort of, uh, similar to physical, fo like light focus, you need to um, you need to sort of push out all of the weird stuff you're constantly thinking of and just focus, just... What are the words here? Just to uh, perceive just a small range of thoughts that are related to the task at hand and all of your other stray thoughts kind of de-emphasize them, kind of put them in the background temporarily and the, the thoughts related to the task at hand should be enhanced and that is what mental focus is, I suppose. You're trying to achieve some sort of a task. What are these tasks? Why do we listen? We're not. We don't ask to be born here, you know. Like that guy. Remember that guy who sued his parents for giving birth to him? He's like, I didn't ask for this. Now you're telling me I have to like manage my own existence. I have to like find a job and make money. What if I don't want to do that? You forced this all on me. What's all these tasks? Oh, here, do this task. Do that task. Brush your teeth. Create these marketing materials at work. Like. But like why? Like why? Why are there? Why are there so many tasks that require mental focus? Why can't I just drift? Was that fish song? Waiting in the velvet sea, just 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 drift in an ocean of unfocused thoughts forever and ever. Well, maybe that was the. Maybe that gets boring after a while, actually, and that's why this whole subdivisions of the mind of God happened. Tasks are at least interesting, if 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 a bit tedious at times, you know. Oh, anyway, what I was going to say before, this is a Sunday, and yesterday was uh, the memorial for my, my father and my parents uh, went to the cemetery, a lot of people showed up, and I'll, I'll talk about this more on the Overnightscape, but then went back to the house, and 
saw so many relatives that I barely ever see. It was like a wonderful day, just a very intense. So this is like the day afterwards where I'm trying to like mentally recover from all that, especially being an introvert. Uh, so much interaction with people causes kind of a malaise uh, uh, for, for, for hours afterwards. I'm experiencing that right now. I'm sort of consciously and then subconsciously sort of parsing through all of the things I said and all the conversations I had. And uh, I think for the purpose of updating my mental image of myself by trying to interpret how other people reacted to all the things I said in order to form a f more fully rounded, a, a, a more focused, a more detailed uh, self-image based on all that, right? Which is this weird guessing game, like by people's subtle body language and tone of voice. And I guess it also informs, yeah, it's not only, it's your internal mental model of the world and especially the modeling of other people's minds inside your mind well, again, this sort of assumes everything's disconnected, you know, but it is just sort of at some point it feels like a game. Hey, let's disconnect everything and then it'll feel great to reconnect everything, you know, but this process where it seems like, you know, the way we interact with other people and I know I'm losing focus again, but that's the whole point. <laughs> yes, lack of focus is the subject of my focus discussion. But um, yeah, like how do you, how do I talk to another person? I have to have something of a mental model of what's going on in that person's mind in order to uh, kind of communicate with them effectively, you know, and, and you're going to, you're going to have a different kind of focus of your communication with another person based on how you understand their mind is, right? But in order to get that, Right, you need to constantly update your internal model of other people and yourself in relation to them and in relation to the world, which does imply a lot of disconnection. But yeah, so anyway, let's get back to the light. The uh, so I think that what I had talked about earlier about how. It seems that in this space, there's light beams um, moving in every different direction. It's kind of frightening to think about. Like if you took a square inch of of just space in uh, in my basement here and you zoomed in, there'd be a lot of molecules, gas gas molecules, nitrogen mostly, and oxygen, and throw a little helium in there. I think there's a tiny amount of helium in there, but anyway. Uh, just sort of rolling, bouncing around like gas does. But then also in that square inch would be photons, light beams um, going in every different direction, right? Billions or trillions of different directions inside this square inch. And then that chaos of light hitting the eye, I think that blurriness is um, too much of the different directions hitting your eye and that focus is this this ability for a lens to kind of rein in all the different light beams 
right? And kind of filter out all but the ones that are going in this one direction through through the lens mechanism, right? Kind of like, wasn't I talking about somebody like filtering thoughts? Yeah, like focusing thoughts is kind of kind of filtering out the ones you don't want and only the ones you do want that are that are in this one direction. In this case, a linear direction, and in the case of the mind, a topic-based direction, right? Yeah. But then, of course, we get to the whole quantum realm where, right, all of the, all of this, talking about these light beams going in all different directions, like they really, they only exist as potentialities, right? Only when you observe them, or perhaps when a consciousness observes them, do they collapse into the actual form. So, talking about a focused point of light, a star in the night sky. The idea is that, and this I think is uh, an important point of focus, right? Imagine you see a star in the sky, or if it's nighttime now, go look in the sky. Maybe you'll see a star or two. In Jersey, it's hard because we have a lot of light pollution, but, right? And let and let's use the uh, the current... Uh, accepted model of the universe that it's this vast space and the stars are actually what we know as uh, suns like our our sun but they're much much more distant and um, they're these huge spheres of fusion energy you know what I'm talking about and let's just say for the sake of argument it's not the flat earth model or you know, where they're just actually little points of light on a screen above us, a, a sort of a, a domed screen above us. For the sake of argument, and listen, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. <laughs> Let's just say for the sake of argument, it is the scientific model. So you look up at a, at a, at a star, which looks like a single point of light, but sometimes it kind of shimmers and twinkles, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. It has a, it shifts colors and stuff. But let's just say it's... Uh, many, many light years away, hundreds of light years away. So it'll take light hundreds of years to reach your eye, right? So imagine this star, and some of those stars are much bigger than our sun in that scientific model, right? So it's it's a seething ball of energy. And uh, if light were particles, right, there would be innumerable, every moment, every microsecond, there's innumerable particles of light, photons, leaving that sphere from every vector, from every direction all around the sphere, shooting out into space, right? But if these were particles, right, though we're talking about a vast number every microsecond shooting out in all directions out out of the sphere, right, when you get out to, uh, you know, a mile, (laughs) there's less per square inch than there were at the surface of the star. And then you get out to, say, one astronomical unit. What is that? The distance between the Earth and the Sun. And then every square inch, you could count if it's a particle. There's now less particles than there were at one mile. Now let's go out one light year. The light is all going out a year. Now one square inch, right? If you're able to visualize this along with me, one square inch... At this sphere is now the sphere of the particles that have been 
shot out of this star, it represents a sphere that is one light year in diameter, which is a very large sphere, a big ball, you might say. And you and if you were to go into the surface of that sphere and now measure one square inch, I would imagine that most of those square inches would not have a single particle it, because, right, we're talking about dilution. Sort of like, you know, the homeopathic remedies where they keep diluting something over and over again to the point that the chance of there being even one molecule of the original substance in your homeopathic pills or whatever is is essentially zero, right? That's a whole nother topic, those, that homeopathic stuff. But anyway, I think you see what I'm saying. By the time uh, it gets here, 50, 100, 1,000 light years away, and you're looking at the star, if light was a particle, I would imagine that you'd look there, you'd see nothing, and occasionally one photon, like every 1,000 years, would like hit your eye. You know what I'm saying? So if it's a part, if it's a particle, if light is a particle, things that far away you would never see from this thought experiment, right? But of course they say it's a wave particle duality. So I don't, I don't think the particle side is going to help very much seeing a star from planet Earth, right? So it has to be a wave, or does it have to be a wave? As all these things exist as potentialities, the idea is that. There is really no light. There's just these references to what could be. And then when you open your eye and look at it, and the fact that you are a consciousness, right, that act itself collapses one of those potentialities. Because it is possible that every single one of those particles was reached Earth, which seems almost completely impossible, but it is like a one in God knows how many, a Googleplex chance, whatever. Well, that's some pretty big numbers. Anyway, that idea that the, that the light doesn't really exist until it's observed, which is why you need these observing consciousnesses, because otherwise nothing would exist. But on the other hand, it's a wave. Okay, so we know a wave is not a thing. It's a pattern of energy that has to exist in a medium, right? Like a wave in water, you you've seen those. You th- you know you know that like like throw. There's a very still pond. You throw a, a rock, it'll ripple in still water. You know, like the Grateful Dead song. You've done that, right? Taken a rock and thrown it in, or you tried to skip a rock, but you completely failed, and it just where it lands in the water. There's these ripples of concentric circles going out from the impact point. Correct. Those are waves. What are they? Well, they're rep- they're an energy pattern, right, that you can observe in the water, but the medium is the water. You need a medium. So what is the medium for light or electromagnetic radiation? There has to be a medium for it if it's a wave, right? It, as we understand, waves don't exist independently. They have to have a medium to exist in. So there was a scientific theory called ether, A-E-T-H-E-R, that supposed or theorized a a medium in which electromagnetic waves uh, can exist, that there has to be a medium, so they call it ether, right? But somehow ether fell out of favor in science at some point in the 19th century, I think, something like that. 
I would have to research this further, but how then does the does the wave part of, the wave aspect of light exist without a medium to be in? Since they kind of rejected ether for some reason, I remember in that that book by uh, Thomas Pynchon, um, "Against the Day," they told, were talking about ether a lot. But supposedly there were some experiments where they sort of thought they disproved ether. So anyway, the light from the distant star, if indeed um, ether exists. Um, we could imagine that as we see ripples in a pond, as it gets further away from the impact point of the little stone or pebble or what what have you, I suppose you could use wood too. You could just throw like a branch in the water. It would kind of, even though it would, maybe it would kind of float, it would still have those ripples. And Anyway, <laughs> I'm losing focus again. Um, we do observe that because of, you know, what we understand as friction and heat loss, and resistance, those ripples get less and less intense and then eventually just disappear, right? And as I think we see, there are stars that we can't see with the naked eye, but you can see with a telescope because the intensity of the ripples in the ether are, are, are not strong enough for the human eye to detect. But let's just say ether is a, is a medium which clearly has some kind of dissipation factor over distance, but um, it, goes, it goes real far. In that case, those ripples in ether would be expanding out from that spherical star in a spherical direction. Spherical, spherical. Um, and the wave could really explain it, except they got rid of ether in science, so then how the hell is it a wave? So if there's no ether, it can't be a wave, and if there's no waves, it must be a particle, but if there's particles, you wouldn't see it, but yet we're seeing it. So there's kind of a problem there, no? Kind of, sort of a problem there, yeah, yeah. Focus. Focus. Yes. Focus on the topic of focus. I've been trying. I've been trying for the past... Uh, what? Did I just hit pause. I've been trying to focus on focus for the past 48 minutes and 43 seconds. Hopefully I hit a few moments of focus in, in the midst of all of it. Back to you, PQ. There's quite a bit to chew on, and chew you did, and then quite well. I think you thoroughly masticated. And some, yep, the philosophers back in ancient Greek days did believe that all of these objects pre existed somehow, and we learned the concepts of it. I don't know exactly how to explain it. You'd have to find a philosopher. But the, the, the existence. And when you start talking about light, that's like the holograms again, all over how light works and dark and it's the dissipation and all of the photons that just it triggers what you talked about, the brain fog, which I don't know. When I was stoned all the time, if I lost focus, I had an excuse. But now that I'm not, it really seems like it still persists, and maybe I notice it more, which becomes more and more frustrating, and I wonder if it's the product of some COVID-related brain fog, whether just the function of getting older, or it's always been there, and smoking marijuana had very little to do with it. Maybe it seemed to make it loopier. I don't know. 
and and things like dates and what I did yesterday or was it the day before and was it last week or the week before uh was that ever clear to me and I'm just noticing it more or is time really blurring it's all just and star dates yeah if we had star dates then everything would be fine we would just enter it all into the log and then you know like Gene Roddenberry thought it would just be fine and his uh, successors the many that there are um and Philip K. Dick posited that we are living in some sort of simulation and somewhere in the future or he even thought that we might be somewhere in the past living in Coptic Christian eras and this is just some sort of echo experience and this has been played to death in science fiction since what the 1980s and it's a great hook but it could be we could be playing some sort of cosmic video game in some other identity and this is our avatar that we are experiencing in some extra dimensional way and there are more dimensions that we don't perceive in this form um and and the idea of being totally focused and com- that might be good for doing a mathematical problem or studying something but in a conversation or even a monologue a totally focused approach might be quite dull that uh, you would I don't know. And maybe that's why certain types of science I find dull, especially mathematics. There's no story there. And once you go into a story, you get into descriptions. I don't know. But uh, yes, focus was our topic. And if you have something to say about focus and didn't get a chance to participate, your chance is still open. You can send us another me uh, your segment on focus, and I will include it in the next Overnight Scape Central because that's how we do it here. There's always an opening for continued uh, conversation, feedback. Um, it, it's awkward because it's a conversation in monologues, but it's also more focused because you don't have the distraction of, say, me interrupting you and breaking your train of thought, which is why this is done this way, as well as technical limitations I, and my inability. I don't think I'm a good like host for a panel of people, per se. I think I interrupt too much, and I'm too insistent on enforcing what I think right now and not waiting, because I have my train of thought. This allows everybody's train of thought. So again, if you've got a follow-up or some talk back, by all means, just keep listening and you'll get the email address. Um, and now is where I invite you to be, even if you've never done anything like this before, part of the Overnight Scape Central. So with that in mind, next week, to, to, to just brighten things up a little bit around here we are going to talk about happy 
things. That's right. The topic next week is happy things. And uh, the deadline for said program is the 31st of July, 2023. Get me your submission by the evening time, Mountain Standard Time. Um, yeah, I'm in New Mexico. And uh, you are assured of uh, being included. And do it early. That way you don't even have to think about that. Record a segment. Type something out if you are Mike shy or can't record, and I'll read it on your behalf. And uh, participate. Let yourself uh, express yourself about happy things or any other topic related this past week's topic and send it to kpqr.torc at gmail.com. I'll say it again, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And uh, this was fun. Thank you, Mike, Chad, and Frank for uh, contributing. I hope you do. And um, let's just get out of here quick so you can get on to other things. Till the next time we meet, set the controls for the heart of the fun.